Welcome to episode 109 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Howdy, John. What's on the schedule for today? So today, let's talk a little bit about the evolution, or perhaps more accurately, the uh, de-evolution of our online digital privacy, because there have been so many recent news events that have really brought this uh, this topic to the fore, and and I think it's a critical one for uh, you know the experience of the digital life going forward. So I wanted to start with some of the uh, big sort of news events of the past uh, couple months around around privacy, and then, you know, talk a little bit about uh, that topic, both from a user experience perspective and from, from a general sort of uh, digital cultural uh, culture perspective as well. So let's get started with uh, one of the more um, disastrous uh, security breaches of you know the 21st century so far, which is uh, that of uh, millions of federal employees having their personal data uh, siphoned off by uh, hackers, uh, presumably of of uh, Chinese origin, uh, at least according to uh, uh, the reporting I've seen by the uh, the New York Times, and essentially getting into uh, our government's uh, antiquated systems, and 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 then uh, extracting this this data, which included social security numbers, from what I understand, um, and this is data about you know specifically about federal employees. So so now this has been exposed, and for the United States, I think this is a horrible black eye because were you know at least given the story that that our cybersecurity and our our digital um, readiness for for the future is is solid and it quite clearly is not so we have this huge governmental failure on the cybersecurity side um, and I I just found this news item to be somewhat shocking. I I don't know what was what was the impression that that you took away when when you heard about this. Um, you know, I expected. Um, you know, disappointed but not surprised. It's it's tricky, right? Because we've we've really evolved so that um, it's there's a lot of power that each of us have as individuals to hurt people or organizations that have very little to do with us. I mean. Uh, you know, let's let's go back, um, you know, n thousand years, and there was a time where the only way to hurt a person or an object in the environment was to be standing within arm's reach of that thing and pummeling it in in a personal way, either with your fists or with some kind of a, a you know handheld. Um, object, you know, then through technology, you know, we, we have things like, like the bow and arrow and on and on and on. And, and now we've created this virtual space, which totally changes the rules, but we also have um, technology within it that can be mastered and learned by an individual, but then to harm harm a scale uh, like a, a country or, um, you know, the whole of the internet to, to a certain degree um, from a service disruption standpoint, more so than a data, you know, data breach 
standpoint, but it's it's a problem that's not going to go away. The nature of uh, computer science, the nature of computer security is such that an individual or particularly a group of individuals that are banded together, um, you know, officially or unofficially by by a federal government or or federal group have the power to get into pretty much anything that they want, um, given enough time. And that's the price that we pay, whether we be the U.S. government or individuals, for having our information on the Internet, for um, for engaging with this thing that is by its very nature global, virtual, and really hard to protect. It's it's tough. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the takeaways that... Uh, um, that I sort of realized as as I was reading this and and a number of of other uh, security breaches, uh, especially the the embarrassing um, Sony uh, security breach, uh, where where their emails and sensitive uh, transactional information was you know sort of exposed uh, and made public uh, for for all to see their you know their their dirty laundry. The one of the takeaways was that being, you know, these large institutions and uh, sort of being in charge, there's there's no longer um, this impregnability, this, uh, uh, you know, some of the benefit of being large and in charge is, has gone away. And now these very nimble uh, hacker groups can... Uh, you know, sort of make a mockery of of uh, the the larger institutions because they they just can't keep up. So so it makes me wonder uh, if this sort of centralized information and and uh, you know these these large institutions that that are unable to uh, protect themselves if that's going to necessarily sort of need to change in some way. I and I don't have the sort of security vision to to see how that that would happen but there's there's no longer the um the all-powerful uh large uh institution that can uh control all aspects of its of its being it's it's now these smaller nimbler players who have very much the advantage when it comes to the uh uh you know the security aspects yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. So one, you know, it, it's almost certainly not going to change until something catastrophic happens. And the, the breach that you mentioned um, doesn't doesn't rate at that level. Uh, what that looks like, what the catastrophic event would be that would cause change, I, I don't know. But it would be really dire because people love the convenience of the Internet. People love the fact that you can be anywhere and always on data and information that you need is at your fingertips fully updated like there's there's so much good stuff about it but if if an institution really wanted to protect against it it, it would be very it's it's very doable but it is um akin to like if you think about um cdc workers dealing with a real virus right they put themselves in a special suit 
then they go in that suit into a, a staging room between like the say, the room where they live and the room where the yuckies are and they're you know I, i'm sure i'm using the imprecise and silly <laughs> specifics but they're hosed down essentially they're you know so they have to put this outfit on and then they're additionally have all these other protocols in order to be safe um by by taking taking these systems off the internet by essentially having having the data in literally a physical and safe place, having the systems in a physical and safe place, and then um, going through this safe staging process and then being available in real time for a period of time and then being pulled down and locked down again. Like that's, that's a way around it. That's a way, um, mm-hmm. if it's, if it's built correctly, um, and, and, uh, c- c- handled responsibly and consistently. And if the physical, uh, infrastructure and the safe, the, the ultimate safe space is truly, truly safe, which there's a different vulnerability right there. In that scenario, the, the hackers can be thwarted. These things can be avoided. But, um, you know, how many of us, how many organizations would want to deal with those kind of protocols? Because it requires a whole lot of downtime. And we are accustomed to using the internet in a way where there's no downtime whatsoever. And that is indeed one of the key features of it. So, it, it will take something really, really cataclysmic uh, for something at, at the level of the United States government to take major everyday systems and put them into that kind of a, a, a process. Um, but it's, it is solvable. It is doable. It's just using the Internet uh, in ways that are, are very much divorced from how we've become accustomed to using them uh, up until now. Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting that you suggest that because I, I think some of the security recommendations around the federal computer systems that were breached was that the systems that were vulnerable be taken offline for a period of time while they figured out sort of how to best uh, uh, secure them and how to best sort of deal with them. So, um, you know, separating out the uh, sensitive information, especially when it's in, uh, you know, it's it's critical personal information and it's not well protected. You know, pulling it offline uh, may seem uh, anti-technology, but at the same time, it's probably uh, the safest way to protect things. Um, yeah, yeah, and and for what it's worth, I'm sure governments like China, North Korea, that they do treat their data that way. That they do sacrifice the convenience, openness, and sort of the liberal sensibilities for the very conservative, cautious, closed approach of of keeping it safer. And you know, they may they may be in the right here um, because the the unprecedented ability of an individual or a small group of individuals to compromise our data is 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 very real and uh we we may be a little bit stupid in how we're meaning here in the united states are um addressing that reality yeah and i think it really comes home when you start um considering that since personal data is is really the target now uh we're all sort of made vulnerable whether we're federal employees or if we have a healthcare um system that that uh, is storing some of our uh particularly sensitive information in a database that's not well protected so uh you know similar hacker groups have have caused you know all kinds of problems for 
you know, health health insurance companies. And and, you know, I received uh, a letter in the mail that said, hey, your your data's been exposed. You know, we'll get you some online uh uh, monitoring uh, security software, you know, to let you know if somebody does something bad with it. But, you know, hey, you've been exposed in this particular data breach, and you sort of couple that with uh, the the idea that a lot of our health records are now being uh, made electronic uh, uh, through EHRs, and you know to take that a step further, um, you know that electronic health record will soon be containing a whole uh, bunch of new information, maybe genomic uh, information, other other uh, uh, in- information from your wearables and things like that. So, so as our online presence increases as the uh, the amount of information about us in a in the digital world increases uh, so does our uh, exposure and uh, you know becoming uh, a target for uh, people to do not so nice things with it yeah well you know right now a lot of the things that you you named off that data couldn't really be used against us in a diabolical way um, mm-hmm. you know the 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 technologies around health and genetics are not such that you know that could be used to weaponize against us and kill us but um or or harm us or something really really that that would matter but that'll change at some point i think it'll change at a point where we'll probably be old um we won't matter really um, at that point but um you know it it will change at a point you know probably during our our lifetimes and uh for for younger people for people who are are there and and relevant and active in the future um it's 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 really concerning. And, you know, another another sort of nuance to all of this is there's there's a difference between what I'll call criminal hacking and what I'll call um, destructive hacking. And so the, the distinction I'm drawing is criminal hacking is one that is done with a plan, uh, whether it be by a, a vigilante or whether it be by a shadow government group. The idea is we want to um, get N data for Y purpose, and it will be operationalized for that purpose. Uh, very few, very few of the big breaches we're seeing in the news um, fall into that category. Most of them fall into the category of destructive hacking, where it's less about executing a plan to exploit the data, and it's more about embarrassing, humiliating um, an enemy, somebody who, you know, you you want to hurt, basically, somebody you want to bully. And so, you know, the U.S. government, of course, is a huge um, target for that, just like Sony Entertainment Group was a huge target when they were putting out a movie um, lampooning the, you know, the, the supreme ruler of, of North Korea. Right. Um, and at a more personal level, I think, I think where it gets more troubling is um, what could be done to us as individuals. We we already see it done really from a non-hacking perspective, in terms of the bullying and doxing that go on with with social media. But if a target was juicy enough, you know, it it, it could be a lot worse than that. You know, what what would happen if someone who really had reputation and and clout 
Um, who's a good example for this? If like a Malcolm Gladwell, uh, if he, who people listen to, came out with something that was very subversive against whatever, the Chinese government or or, or some, some individual or organization that uh, just wasn't going to tolerate that. What could they do? How could they criminalize their hacking, um, their, their nefarious efforts to really, really put a world of hurt on that individual? Um, so, you know, we, we just are all vulnerable in, in so many different ways. And it, we are now in a world very much where... If you stand up and stick your head up above everyone else, it could get chopped off in, in brutal, brutal ways, uh, most of which are virtual, but have real impact in our, our physical realities. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a particularly disturbing scenario. I, I, I'm also, you know, thinking, you know, as, as we move forward, you know, even more deeply into our uh, having the digital uh, life integrated into sort of our everyday reality. Um, I'm I'm interested in 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 this this evolution of of our understanding of privacy and sort of what that means culturally, uh, because up until now we never quite had to struggle with you know what. Uh, what is known by you know only ourselves and to our confidence and 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 to our uh, medical uh, professionals who help us or our lawyers or, or or whatever it is the 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 information that we see as being you know secret uh, versus the information that we make public and that information is is now you know less and less. Uh, likely to stay in that in that uh, comfort zone of of you know the sort of trusted advisors and and availability limited to the public sphere you know that that veil is very thin now uh, with everything residing online so so we've come to this moment and our expectations of privacy moving forward are sort of based on this uh, pre-digital world and we're I, you know, it feels like we're really learning a lot of hard lessons all at once, uh, which is making uh, the scenarios even even much more difficult culturally. So I wonder from a user experience perspective, how we can expect our concept of privacy to evolve over the next, uh, who knows, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Are we, you know, capable of changing the way we think about our personal and private data, or are we just going to be feel more and more squeezed by um, our online, um, you know, presence and trying to try to keep everything under wraps? What's your take on that, Dirk? I think until there's a cataclysmic event, there will be very few people who take who take sort of proper precautions. But I, I, th I think there's a couple a couple of, of problems. One is that you know even proper precautions I, I don't know that they mean a whole lot. So the example I'm going to use is there was a period of time I don't know how far back this goes, but at least a few years where if I was doing something that I if I was doing something online that I thought could be embarrassing. Uh, if it got out, um, I would log out of the browser and go into an anonymous session. The problem is that what I was doing was still being picked up by Comcast or 
um, you know, whatever the, the cable provider. So it, it's just so difficult in the current, um, in the current ecosystem to, to really be private, to really have your data protected. And what exacerbates it and what makes it something that is not urgent, I think, for us, and I'll, I'll speak for myself here, but I'm assuming it's the case with many other people, is that we think, we think we're safe from the standpoint that even if we get drilled, even if our data gets out there, we get identity thefted, you know, at the worst case, bad things happen. Um, I have confidence that I'll be bailed out. I have confidence that whether it be my bank, whether it be the government, whether it be the company that holds my mortgage, however I'm undermined, um, that there's a safety net there. So the only thing where I feel vulnerable, ultimately, I mean, and, you know, it'd suck to have have a really nasty identity theft, but then it would, you know, be fixed and over and and life goes on. The only place where I think I'm vulnerable are things that might be embarrassing, um, you know, if, if they got out. But I'm, I'm increasingly just um, not caring because uh, I think it's going to happen. You know, if if I'm ever well-known enough to, to matter, I think my stuff's going to get out there and I'll just own it. <laughs> I'll just own it because there's nothing, you know, that I've done online or been interested in that I wouldn't be able to stand up and own at the end of the day, um, even if there are things that conventionally, you know, somebody would be, would be, you know, um, vulnerable from. So it's, it's just a really, really hard situation, um, given, given the nature of the digital ecosystem. And then just, again, given the fact that the safety nets are there, it's very unlikely, very unlikely that any of us would be compromised. And that compromise would turn into literally our life being, being totally changed. It may be for a short period of time, but then it's fixed and, and life goes on. So that's tricky stuff, my friend. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett, J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at dniemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. Or email me, Dirk, at goinvo.com. So that's it for episode 109 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.